freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. The only way they can inherit the freedom we have known is if we fight for it, protect it, defend it, and then hand it to them with the well-taught lessons of how they in their lifetime must do the same. And if you and I don't do this, then you and I may well spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in America when men were free. Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 354 of Gun Freedom Radio, where we engage, we educate, and we inform. We are brought to you by azfirearmsauctions.com, where you set the price on guns, ammo, and accessories. I am one of your hosts, Cheryl Todd. And I'm the other guy, Dan Todd. Our theme today is the Supreme Court and the Second Amendment, and our guest is, is Lars Delside. Lars is a spokesman for the National Rifles. Yeah, the National Rifle Association, <laughs> the Institute for Legislative Action. He's a 12-year veteran of the NRA. Lars has covered almost every aspect of the NRA's political and program side. Easy for you to say. Easy for me to say because I wrote it. So <laughs> welcome back to the show, Lars. Well, I thank you all for having me back on. Absolutely. It's been far, far too long. I couldn't believe when I looked at, at how long ago it was, but there's so many things that we could be talking about to catch up, but our eyes are forward. There is something huge happening on the horizon. We're sitting in the studio on Monday, November 1st, 2021. And so by the time that this episode airs, uh, this momentous thing will have already begun happening. Uh, but it is a huge decision that the Supreme Court is uh, taking part in concerning our Second Amendment rights. Take it from there and pick up the ball and run with it and let us know what's going on. All right. The, the last time that there was anything in front of the Supreme Court uh, that they put out was in 2010, which was uh, McDonald versus Chicago. A uh, very good case that came out and incorporated the right to keep and bear arms uh, throughout the United States. And uh, so it's been, as I said, 11 years now since there has been anything that the court has decided upon. Uh, this itself is the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. Now, the Bruin part is sort of, it doesn't really matter what that is. It's basically the superintendent of the New York State Police. And that issue is how New York State issues their concealed carry permits. I'm sure most people have the thought and idea that uh, in New York City, it's very difficult to get a concealed carry permit. You know, you need to know somebody, have some money, be a politician, this, that, or that, there's some sort of celebrity. And uh, if you're not, then you're not allowed to do it. Whereas the folks throughout the rest of the state, it kind of sort of is a give and take. You sort of wonder if it's going to happen. And that's because New York is a May issue state, which means they leave it up to the discretion of the local officials as to whether or not you're allowed to carry concealed. So like I have a parent, to, huh? yeah, like a parent, like a permission based system. And, you know, I've looked at this little document a few times, you know, it's just our United States constitution. It's just our bill of rights. 
But um, I've looked in there and I just don't see any of that in here. I don't see any of that being supported by this. So I would have to think that the Supreme Court, bound by our founding documents, supported by the McDonald v. Chicago, uh, also how does Heller v. DC intersect this? But I would think they it's a slam dunk. They have to rule that this is garbage what's happening with the superintendent of the New York State Police. Well, it, it's one of the things that you do hear some of the, the right-leaning justices talk about quite a bit, how they haven't taken up another Second Amendment case, as well as how the lower courts haven't really followed the guidance that were set forth in Heller and uh, McDonald. And I know that I just mentioned McDonald, so go back a little bit. DC versus Heller was about this guy, Dick Heller, had his gun there in DC. And at the time, the law was you could have a gun in your home, but it had to be unassembled, unloaded, and locked away. To which the Supreme Court said, well, how are you supposed to be able to exercise your Second Amendment right if it's disassembled, unloaded, and locked away? So boom, with DC versus Heller in 2008, that gave people the right in DC and other federal properties to have a gun in the home for self-protection. Two years later, that's when McDonald came up and they said, okay, what we decided in Heller, that's not only federal, that's every state. So it's incorporated throughout the states. And now the question is whether that right actually exists outside the home. So the, what you have to remember or think about with this overall, with what New York is doing, they're saying that you're free to practice your constitutional rights until you walk out the front door. Then we're gonna decide if and what you can do. And I know a lot of people will poo-poo that and think, oh, well, we're just, we're talking about guns. And of course, that's a whole nother thing. So, but no, it's much bigger than that. Because what you're allowing the state to do, if this stands, is you're saying the state has the right to decide where and when a law-abiding American citizen can exercise any and all constitutional rights. This is huge. You, that's, you're exactly right. That's, that's really scary because let's say at the time that they wrote that law, that a they had the peoples of power were gun-favored people, right? But then when they leave office, now another guy comes in that's anti-gun, and with that May issue, he could just say, no, we're not going to do it, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's super dangerous may it absolutely is and how did how does anybody with straight face think that the phrase keep and bear arms well you're just bearing arms <clears throat> as you walk around your kitchen but if you step out to, to check your mailbox at the end of the driveway i mean what what straight faced person would believe that yeah there's one justice wrote it's extremely improbable uh, that the framers wrote the Second Amendment to protect your right to carry a firearm from your bedroom to your kitchen. But <laughs> I think they had a grander scale in mind at the time overall. I'm but pretty that sure. Is the thing. I mean, you have to think about it overall. Uh, the states, the, the makeup of the states have changed dramatically over the decades, over the centuries. Uh, places that were friendly to the Second Amendment are not so friendly anymore. Places that were friendly to business aren't that friendly anymore. I mean, you see it switch and change all the time. So yeah, when you when you leave a constitutional right up for a, allowing the state to decide if and when 
it can be exercised, that's a little dangerous. That there is the possibility that with that, then the state said, oh, well, we could do it with the second. Why can't we do it with the first? You know, the, the, the phrase, and I'm going to mess this up, so the paraphrase of what it actually says in New York is that you have to show a, um, a significant need above and beyond the general public. So if their test is a significant need above and beyond, how do we apply that for the First Amendment? Are the people right. out there protesting? Do they actually have a need to protest? Mm -hmm. Do they have a need to protest where they're protesting? Mm -hmm. Maybe not be a need, so that could be denied. You know, Absolutely. you get the Fourth Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, the Sixth Amendment. There's always something there. It's like if you're allowing the government to decide if and when you actually have that need, then they can very easily say not at all. It's a very subjective term, and it shouldn't be up to other people to decide. And when I heard that, that, you know, in New York, I would have to show that there's a specific threat to my life or something like that. You know, the fact that I have a life and it's just one life that's enough. That should be enough to say that I get to pick and choose the tools and uh, how and, and what I uh, choose to keep and to bear um, in, in as far as life-saving tools. Um, it's mind-boggling going back to that, you know, if your rights are only within your, your domicile, uh, you know, it was Lexington and Concord where all this stuff started way back in the day with our founders and at Lexington and Concord, the King's army, what did they come for? They were coming for the arms and the gunpowder powder. Right? And the guns, yeah. And so absolutely our founders had something much bigger in mind than making sure the hallway from the bedroom to the kitchen was secure. Right. <laughs> I want to know, I want to know the logistics of, okay, so I go to a gun shop and I buy a gun. Mm -hmm. How do I get it home? That's a good question, Laura. Well, there is the overall transportation thing. Yeah. What most people in New York that don't have a concealed carry permit, the, the basic breakdown of the regulations are that, you know, you can put the gun in a case and then go to the range. You can put a gun in the case and then go hunting. If you're going to do some sports shooting or something like that, that's perfectly acceptable. And with this case itself, and like I said, it's New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Broom. And uh, as most people know, for those who don't, the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association is the NRA state affiliate. Uh, they are the headliners in this case overall. And it's two of their members, uh, Mr. Koch and Nash, who are um, uh, the main plaintiffs in this overall. And they're just two basic average everyday people. Um, you know, one of them makes furniture and I, I don't remember who, uh, what the other gentleman does. But I mean, we, we've heard the stories before about the people in New York that are applying. There are business owners who say, I was taking the, the bag to the bank to make a deposit and I got mugged. And the Absolutely. reply was basically, well, well, that already happened then. You don't have an immediate need. It's, <laughs> but that doesn't seem to never be a happen again. issue. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, that's, that's the way of going at it. <laughs> that's insanity. And I just can't believe that the people in New York, Danny was making this point off air a few minutes ago. He said on the, the side of our nation, along that East coast, where all of our 13 original colonies are, you would think that if infringements like this were to happen, 
that it certainly wouldn't be starting there, right? You'd think that it would be, you know, California would make more sense because it's way over on the West Coast. You know, maybe they're disconnected in time and space from our founding documents. And then it might come across this way. But there's so many of these original places where people's family lineage can be traced back to those who fought, bled, starved, and died for the opportunity to even put quill to parchment to write these founding documents. They've lost their minds. Like what has happened there that we're so disconnected? Well, that's something for the uh, sociologists and the historians to go through. I, I guess you see it a, a number of times with uh, the more urban centers and there's so many people and there's so many services and so many this and so many others. And there are ideas and promises made that don't get fulfilled. And next thing you know, there's turmoil. And with that, there might be more violence. I mean, usually that is the, the way that things turn out. In the more urban centers, there's going to be more violent crime. Uh, I think that'll be true for just about any state. So it's dealing with that population. And that's just the way that New York decided to deal with it. And since the majority of New York is based in New York City, at least population-wise, or at least a good hunk of it, um, that's just the way that they decided to go. And so unfortunate. Well, hopefully, and this is a hard thing for me to say, I want to say hopefully the Supreme Court will, you know, understand our constitutional uh, founding and, and so on and so forth and make the right decision. But then at the same time I say that, it is very unsettling for me that our rights hinge on the decisions of a judge, right? Or a group of justices in this case. But that is not, I mean, our founders set up the, the government the way that it is on purpose, but I, I'm sure they didn't intend for every big decision to land for the decision of a judge somewhere, whether it's a circuit court judge or, you know, here at the Supreme Court. Well, I guess you need a tiebreaker some way. Uh, we, we were discussing earlier about uh, being parents, and I don't know how that happens overall. If your kid comes to you with a, an issue and you're the, you're the final word. So in a sense, you're the one who's judging and serving in the, uh, the big court at that point in time. But yeah, they, they knew that the executive would want to go one direction, that the legislative would have the ideas. And as the states tried to figure out how to work with each other here and there, there were going to be issues and disputes that you know, a person off in Louisiana isn't going to have the same set of mind and issues and values that a person in New Hampshire is going to have, or you know, New York or Connecticut or something like that. You, you never just know. So that there would have to be somebody overall to decide how things are going to work everywhere. And we see that go through. I mean, there've been a lot of landmark cases that have come through in a variety of issues in the last hundred years or so. And I would say overall, we're better off for it, but it is amazing that I guess we've reached that stage in our, our, our country's, well, in our timeline where everything is so adversarial that a good deal of what happens does end up in court. And that's how we decide one way or another how we're going to proceed. Well, I think if we would, as citizens, be more involved at the, at our local level and paying attention to even who is on city council and who is the mayor and are these people truly representing us and on up 
the line, I think that fewer things would have to be left to <clears throat> justices. Um, but that's just Cheryl Todd's opinion. So well, well <laughs> I'm not that everybody I, would agree. I'm not a Supreme Court judge. I've never played one on TV, but that's I'll true, tell you, you not. when if I was a judge in a position and I saw the Second Amendment and it says shall not infringe be infringed shall not be infringed then that would mean shall not be infringed and we definitely see that there is infringement right if you can't have a gun and carry it responsibly then you are being infringed upon but that's the way that people try to sell socialism well we already have some socialism so more shouldn't bother you right so we already have some <laughs> infringements so more shouldn't bother yeah. you and uh so anyway this is going to be a huge case now you're saying that um two days from now when we're sitting in the studio, but after this is aired, the justices are going to hear the case, consider the case, like how does this play out? It's so Wednesday, November 3rd, there, there's going to be a 65 minute session. Uh, their justices will be there in the chamber. The lawyers directly arguing on both sides will be in the chamber. Uh, on the pro-gun side, we have former Bush administration solicitor general Paul Clement, who was also involved in McDonald and Heller that will be arguing on the uh, pro-gun side. And uh, I, I, don't, I don't know who's <laughs> arguing on the, the pro-gun control side. Um, so they're gonna spend 65 minutes. And as we've seen lately, it, it's even more and more entertaining. The lawyers will get up and they'll have a five to 10 to 20 minute presentation and they're lucky to get two to three minutes in and the justices just start hitting them with questions because there are certain facts that they've read the briefs you know both what's been filed and the, the variety of amicus that's going to come in along with it and they're going to have their points that they want to be uh that they're going to need clarification for and once they go through and do that they're going to start burning through real quick after the 65 minutes thank you very much off they go and then basically you will sit back and wait to hear what they decide till June. I know it seems like a, a long time, but there are a lot of cases that they're doing. And it's not just the overall presentation that happens there in the Supreme Court. There's also a variety of research that they'll do through legal precedent and uh, other cases. So there's a lot of work that goes into just the, to deciding just one case. So will we hear you know there's always the leak to the press you know kind of a preview <laughs> do do those things happen with supreme court or are they like that doesn't happen nearly I, i'm actually sort of racking my brain right now to think of when there's a leak decision and uh the the only sort of inside baseball that you get when it comes to what the supreme court is doing and thinking is by listening to the questions that the justices are asking mm -hmm. that's the only real thing it's not like when they're trying to put a bill up out on the hill mm -hmm. or the white house is trying to push some legislation through that you hear oh well they're thinking about this and they're thinking about that and then you get whatever reaction you're going to get from the news reports the justices they don't care about public opinion they care about the law so and that was my that's the only thing they rely on that was my next question is if this was you know the senate sitting down together congress sitting down together you know the call would be for people to write your and call your senator and your congressperson let them know what you're thinking there's not that process with the justices right or is no there? no no not at all not at all it's uh you cannot call your local supreme court justice and, <laughs> and ask them to rule in your favor uh i mean i i, I assume 
suppose maybe you could actually call the Supreme Court, but that, I don't think they'd really take that into consideration one way or the other. Lars, could you uh, just so go yeah, in there? Is, I'm sorry. Could you just go in there and slip them one of these? <laughs> they, they don't need to. It only take them a couple of minutes to read it, and then they can decide right there and be done with it. I, I think they have a variety of those and a number of different uh, um, patterns, and so. Uh, I think that they will be safe on that front. Okay, <laughs> I hope. But I for, hope. for this overall, it is basically to let people know. I mean, the main reason that we're reaching out and talking about this is, you know, the, the NRA has been involved with this case since day one. Mm -hmm. um, some expertise, the financial backing, and a variety of different things that we've been working with uh, the people at the New York State Rifle Pistol Association. And what you really have are just these two average, ordinary guys that they're like, you know, it's reasonable for me to be able to carry outside the home for my own self-protection, for me, my friends, my family, whatever it might be. And uh, so, you know, we wanna let people know that this is coming up, that this is something important. And if maybe they have an issue, you know, in their neck of the woods, be it something with concealed carry or another second amendment related issue that, you know, we're here for it. That's what we do. We fight legislatively, we fight through the elections and we try to help people out as they're going through the judicial side as well. That's awesome. And, you know, sometimes in the, uh, the second amendment, uh, world community, whatever you want to call us, there's a little bit of sibling rivalry, like this organization wants to say they're more two a than that organization, so on and so forth. But we are seeing more and more. And I, I have to believe that this, uh, New York rifle and pistol association, V Bruin that we're talking about has many organizations that have uh, joined together in amicus briefs. Am I correct about that? So that is oh, yeah, everybody yeah. saying shoulder to shoulder, we are in this together because it infects, it affects all of us. Yeah, I think it just about every second amendment group out there that you can think of has filed an amicus on this one way or another. Uh, they might not be pointing to the same points that we are, and you know, great, if you come up with another little angle that might be enough to help push it over the goal line then more power to you, happy to have it come in there. So yeah, on when you, you get to battles like this, you will have a, a good deal of people uh, coming together and trying to assist for the overall goal. Um, as you said, there might be some sibling rivalry and squabbling here and there when we're getting stuff done on other fronts, but when it comes to something this big in front of the Supreme Court, it's, you know, shoulder, shoulder, full steam ahead. That's fantastic. And I am uh, on the board of our Arizona State Rifle and Pistol Association, which is the, the state arm of the NRA here in Arizona. And, um, you know, we are, you know, involved in all kinds of things. We're not, you know, just legislative, which is so important, but we're also looking at the next generations coming up. We're about education, training, Right, all those things, safety. getting safety, getting the youth out. Uh, we have a great uh, junior high power team here in Arizona. And, you know, that is a piece, I think, of the, the NRA that people just don't think about. They don't realize how much is, is done by an organization like that, especially when you break it into the different state uh, groups like the, the State Rifle and Pistol Association. Yeah, definitely. As you said earlier, reading my bio, I've worked for both sides of the NRA right now on the political side, but I spent the first five or six years working for what we refer to as the program side. And that's education and training and competitions and law enforcement in the museum. There's overall 187 programs of the NRA 
Uh, we have a little more than 100,000 certified NRA certified instructors teaching more than a million people every year how to safely and responsibly use firearms. I don't know what the numbers are right now, but last year it was we were overseeing approximately 10,000 shooting competitions every year. <laughs> uh, with that as well, we always have our national rifle and pistol uh, championships. And you mentioned that you've got uh, a, a junior long range high power team and you, you know they, all, they are awful spoiled down there because you've got the Ben Avery range was just a beautiful thing. And it's a great place for the kids to go out there and learn how to shoot in a safe and responsible manner. It's so true. And we have such amazing weather. There are like those three or four months that it's like sitting on the face of the sun and your firearm actually burns your hands. You mean, you mean in the summertime so when you have to shoot the gun to cool it down? Yes. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, they, we do get lots of range time out here for, uh, for people that are interested, including our youth. So going back to the legislative side of what uh, the NRA does, um, and a, a big case like this that we're talking about going in front of the Supreme Court, 2010 is the last time? Like, why did it take so long? Like, does anybody know? Do we need one of those little black eight ball cubes to tell us? Like, is there a reason that it took so long for them to well, take there, it? Well, there were a variety of cases that had the potential to reach the Supreme Court and actually one that reached it last year, um, but a little maneuvering by the defendant got it. They basically threw it out. Uh, and that's one of the other things, like we saw one about two or three years ago in DC that we thought was going to the Supreme Court uh, because the lower court had ruled against the district uh, when it came to some regulations that they had on gun owners inside of DC. And they decided we're not going to appeal because if this goes to the Supreme Court, that could open it up everywhere. Mm -hmm. So they backed out. Right. Uh, the one that came out uh, a year or two ago was up in New York City. It was how that they were specifically dealing with their uh, permits up there. And then all of a sudden, it was a week or two before it was supposed to be heard in front of the Supreme Court. New York City changed the regulations and they said, oh, it's no longer an issue. Everything that they're complaining about, we've taken care of it. And so the court's like, well, it's no longer an issue. It's not. It's what they refer to. It, it's moot. So kicked it back out, nothing to hear on. So that's been the main thing. Uh, you have seen either the cases just haven't made it there, that some are meant still be in the pipeline, or that there were strategic moves made by uh, the other side in order to not allow the case to progress mm -hmm. onto the Supreme Court. Well, and I also know that any time uh, a, a big case that affects our rights comes before even like a Ninth Circuit or any of these things, it really has to be the right case because there's precedent set if they hear a case and make a ruling. And so um, with this one that we're talking about with Bruin, what are some of the best and worst case scenarios? Is there some areas of peril <laughs> for us? Uh, well, I, I would guess the worst case scenario would be a unanimous decision against us that uh, <laughs> that uh, no people don't have uh, the right uh, to exercise that, that constitutional right uh, outside the home in which I, I can't see that happening. Um, on the, the positive side of things, I mean, right now, I believe the count is there are 
43 states that are shall issue, meaning that there are seven that are may issue. Um, what it would mean overall with that potentially would be that any state that is shall issue, if they decide in our favor, that they would then become may issue. You know, that would be a possibility. So no longer would you have to, you know, validate, you know, your need to have a firearm out there. It would just be the fact that I'm a law-abiding gun owner. You see, I've got no criminal history. I have no, you know, mental history. Everything is, is good to go. And with that, there you go, pay your fee off and then you get to go on and carry. Um, so, you know, that's uh, one of the, the positive things that could happen. And, you know, it could be something, I mean, there are tons of possibilities. It could be a reciprocity thing throughout. It could be, a, we don't need any permits whatsoever. As long as you're allowed to own a gun, you can carry. I mean, there's all sorts of things that, that it could go, but I, I would assume that it wouldn't be any of the great or grand ones. It would just be a, a, an actual good decision that would come up and that would recognize that people should have that right to carry concealed and extend that right to New York and the other states that, uh, that currently don't have that. Absolutely. Well, I think we could easily look at states like here in Arizona, we have constitutional carry. So we had constitutional because basically the entire, not even basically, the entire nation at one point was constitutional carry because we didn't have all <laughs> these laws that were, you know, mucking things up. Uh, and so Arizona, we, we were, you didn't have to have a CCW, then you did. And then when the AZCDL, which is another board that I sit on, the Citizens Defense League, um, they pushed forward for constitutional carry where we don't have to have a permit. And of course it was, oh my gosh, there's going to be blood in the streets and people, it's going to be like the okay corral and every street corner. And here we are all these years later to show, no, that isn't how people truly behave. It, it actually, an armed society does actually turn out to be a more polite society. And so, you know, if, if the justices can look at areas where there is success with people just being left alone in their lives, just being left to do, you know, to be responsibly armed citizens. Um, I think that there's lots of places that they can look and see that, you know, it, what New York is doing is actually harming their citizens more than helping them. Yeah. I think for, uh... There is some school of thought that the majority of reason why there's any sort of get, uh, government regulation for licensing or whatever it might be it is based in the idea we're going to raise more tax revenue. Um, but when you're talking about having the constitutional carry in the other states that have had that and the other results there, I always like to point to Vermont, which has never had any legislation whatsoever regarding um, you know, whether or not you're allowed to carry concealed like it's not on the books that you're not allowed to it's not on the books that you're permitted to they just don't have anything on it and vermont you can look at their numbers year in year out they're usually in the top two maybe three when it comes to uh, the violent crime or the, the guns uh, crime with guns and stuff like that and so that points to the overall idea that it's it's not the fact that there's a lack of regulations on firearms it's about the different situations that are in the different states. And instead of actually addressing those situations, 
mm-hmm. which is leading to why people are using firearms in this manner. They're just blaming the firearms. Mm-hmm. And until we get to a point where, you know, politicians, you hear about it all the time that they don't address or take on certain issues because they need an issue to campaign on. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So until they actually take care of these different things, then we're still going to be just running, you know, into the same old wall. Absolutely. Um, so something that I foresee is going to happen in the next election, the 2022 election, uh, because I, we're already hearing rumblings of it is of course, through the COVID year, uh, we've had, I don't know what the number is somewhere between eight and 10 million, or maybe more, uh, brand new first time gun owners. That's an amazing thing. These are people that are realizing that they are their own first responder. Um, but then there are a lot of other things that happened at the same time. There's all these places that are defunding the police. Now police are being let go because of vaccine mandates, which is gonna further erode the protections that people have for, for local law enforcement. And so what happens? Crime spikes, right? Well, some crime, uh, bad guys use this particular tool called a gun. So those that hate our rights are going to try to take those figures, those raw numbers and go, oh, look, there was all these new guns bought. There's all these uh, crimes committed with guns. Clearly, the problem isn't all this other stuff about defunding the police. No, let's just put that in our pocket, right? The problem is there's too many guns out there. Tell me I'm wrong. No, no, you're, you're not wrong. I, I've already seen it. There's, there's already arguments that are out there about it. But uh, the, the simple truth of the matter is that people saw the unrest, the images that were on their TV sets, and it scared the heck out of a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And it was the thing of the fact that the police were dealing with those specific issues at that time. And it's like, well, what am I going to do if somebody comes to my door? Yeah. What exactly. am I going to do if somebody tries to, you know, break in my car as I'm going up to the grocery store, picking up the kids from school? You know, these are issues and problems and concerns. And a lot of people decided maybe it's about time that I am my first stop when it comes to self-protection and preservation. So uh, I think with that, as we're going to see these people hopefully go through, uh, take an NRA certified course. Uh, get a little bit of basic gun training, understand what it is that they're doing overall, how to make themselves safer mm-hmm. and more responsible and how they're, they're using their firearms. And uh, uh, with that, we will see possibly uh, an overall movement that leads to even less and less gun control in the coming years. I, from your lips to God's ears there. And, um, you know, we've had a gun shop for many years And at the first of the year, we actually closed the retail portion, but we still sell the guns through our auction house, Pot of Gold Auctions um, and uh, AZ Firearms Auctions. It has morphed a little bit, but being in the state of Arizona where we do have constitutional carry and you don't have to have a permit, we still encourage every single person, whether it's their very first gun or we know that, you know, they're, you know, collectors and they've got several every single sale, we encourage people get the training, get the CCW, right? More training can only help. And, um, you know, tapping people into organizations that are fighting for our rights, like the NRA. Uh, And I think that is just part of being a responsibly armed citizen 
And uh, I, I do believe that there is a possibility, as you said, Lars, that we are going to have more people who are, when they hear the television telling them, the politicians telling them that they're the bad guy because mm-hmm. they have, uh, you know, they're keeping and bearing arms, they're going to go, wait a minute, no, I'm not, right? And because somebody did something horrible with a firearm and misused their rights, that now you, Mr. and Mrs. America, have to give up your rights. They're going to go, um, yeah, I don't think so because they're at least more invested than they were before because people came into our shop that would have never in a million years thought that they would be gun owners. And we're a small little corner mom and pop shop in Avondale, Arizona. And if we saw the numbers of people who were like, okay, I I've been thinking all wrong about this gun stuff, then across the nation, there has to be those epiphanies going on. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And it's, uh, it is about you know reaching that one person, you know where, wherever they might be throughout the United States, one person here, one person there. It's a slow process overall, but it's it's actually a discussion that I have a number of times, you know, in, in a day, in a week, in a month. Well, maybe not in a day, but in a week, I'll, I'll have it one or two times with somebody new, and they're like, "Oh, you work for the NRA?" And it's like, "Yeah." And it's like, "Oh, so you know?" I'm like, "No, I'm not like that at all." You know, I got the firearms I go through and, you know, I try to make sure that I, you know, sit down with an instructor, go to range with an instructor a few times a year, just to make sure that, you know, I'm not developing any bad habits or um, most of my shooting is bad habits because (laughs) unless you count not hitting the target, but then, uh, so so it's, uh, it's always interesting when you get to the range after you haven't been there a while, because your target is never lies to you. Your target to, is more honest, well, even than your dog, right? <laughs> my tar- I, it, it lies so much. I quit using a target. <laughs> <There you go. sighs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, luckily we have a, we have a simulator upstairs and it's, I, it's, I, I love that thing. I try to go in there a few times a month and it's like, okay, it's been a long day. And Lord knows I don't have any ammo right now. So I just have right. to go in here. And it, it helps, it helps out a great deal. And it, Absolutely. like I said, it can tell you the little things that you're doing and uh, any amount of training that you can get, any type of guidance, you know, more power to you. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Well, is there anything else that we need to uh, keep our ear to the ground about coming up? Anything important going on with the NRA ILA uh, before we start wrapping up? Well, this is definitely the big one overall. I mean, there, there are different legislators that are legis- yeah, legislative bodies that are still in session. Uh, I know that we're working with some stuff in New Mexico that's coming up. Um, there's something, oh, some bad overall PR person. It, it's somewhere up in the Northeast. We have a few things that are in the mix right now as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the big thing right now is the SCOTUS case that's going to be coming up this Wednesday, November 3rd. So this will be, that happened on Wednesday, November 3rd. Yes, <laughs> once yes. this actually airs. Uh, if people are trying to follow it, they're looking for more information on it, mm-hmm. I encourage you, you can go to you know, our Twitter page, it's at NRA, same thing for Instagram and Facebook, or if you're looking for the, the more information on what's happening legislatively, either throughout the US or specifically for your state, you can go to NRAILA.org, and that's I-L-A, NRAILA.org. Fantastic. And um, 
you know, the elections. I mean, there's there's some happening right now in 2021, which again, that'll be done by the time this this airs. Uh, Virginia was one to really be watching because they're replacing so many uh, legislators, including their governor, lieutenant governor, attorney general, all 100 House seats. Uh, but in 2022, and the NRA helps us sort of, you know, separate the wheat from the chaff as far as people that are just declaring how they feel about the Second Amendment or people who have a history. Do you track the history as well of how people have? treated the Second Amendment while they're in office? Yeah, we have, uh, if you go to NRA PVF, which stands for Political Victory Fund, with any and all election that's coming up, uh, we have the candidates listed there with our overall grades. And the grades are based on what they did, what they said, how they voted during the most recent legislative session. If somebody was a horrible gun control guy back in 2000, but he's still in Congress, and he's been back in our bills for the last couple of years, then in 2022, he's gonna have a really good grade. And I was like, well, wait, he did, he might have, but it's based on the most recent activity. So you need to go to nrapdf.org. And with that, you can follow uh, your local elections. We do it all the way down to the state legislators as well as the congressional stuff and let you know where those different candidates stand. It's so important. Everyone needs to get tapped into that and really pay attention and not sit on the sidelines and say, well, you know, our, my vote doesn't count. And now the election is all questionable. No, <clears throat> the only vote that doesn't count is the one you don't cast, right? Yeah. Lars, I know we're closing. Thing, I'm sorry. Go, on. go ahead. I said, well, the important thing overall is, uh, as I was reading something earlier today and somebody had, uh, they wrote in this article how this uh, that the NRA, a Republican backing organization, it's like, well, no, we're not a Republican backing organization. The only thing that the NRA cares about overall is your stance on the Second Amendment. If you're a Democrat that has a stronger record on that than a Republican, then we'll back you in that race overall. We don't care what the party line is one way or the other. Now, we have definitely seen an overwhelming majority of those on the Democratic side ticket that are pro-gun control. True. And so, yes, we definitely have been backing more uh, Republican candidates as of late, but that is not our defining thing. We are not by party, we are merely by ideology and those who promise to protect and defend the Second Amendment. Fantastic. Are, Sorry, we, seeing, are we seeing some politicians that are changing um, their opinion on gun control and starting to work with us a little better? You know, you said that you look at the last couple years record are we seeing changes? Well, I would say right now, it's, it's, not it's so one much. of those things that <laughs> I, I, I love working with uh, a variety of different people. And the different people that I work with throughout the US, sometimes the best thing that we can do is to just sit back and let it happen. Because mm -hmm. we have people that, if the NRA gets up and says something about a, policy regulation piece of legislation that's in this state house or that one. If they get our support, then all of a sudden everybody wants to kill it. If we're defending it, everybody wants to get it. Or if, we're, if we want to kill it, then everybody wants to pass it. So sometimes the better part of valor for us is to sit back and just let it happen, let the people talk. We have a great grassroots organization out there active in all 50 states. I know that you've worked with uh, some of our people 
Mm-hmm. Um, like yours is based out of Colorado, I believe that, that she works there with the grassroots function. And, you know, we have people that are, you know, they're making phone calls, they're knocking on doors, they're sending out postcards, they're going to rallies, they are incredibly involved mm-hmm. and incredibly motivated because of the people, the people who vote on the pro-gun side, they are very motivated, they are very well educated, and they get out there and they get things done. Whereas those on the gun control side, a lot of times it's one of the issues that they're interested in, mm-hmm. but it's true. not necessarily the defining side. And for us, for our supporters, the pro-gun thing is a very defining line. For sure. And you know, as much as people want to make the Second Amendment sort of a a polarizing issue. It really is a unifier because one thing that everyone can agree on, whatever age, race, uh, whatever political party, we all want to protect what we love. And the second amendment protects that right to protect what we love. However, we choose with whatever tool of defense we want. It is the most basic right. And that's to defend yourself. Absolutely. All right, Lars, whatever it might be. Lars Daleside, thank you so much for all that you do. And uh, tell folks again, real quick, how they can follow all that the NRA is working on, and we will let you go. Well, you see uh, our digital guy, Billy, going mad on uh, NRA at Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. He's got a variety of different things that he loves to push out there and share. And they will not only be educational and informative, but uh, sometimes you'll find them quite hilarious as well. Um, (laughs) But on the political side, you're going to find all of the stuff with the legislation and regulations that are going through and the Supreme Court case uh, at nraila.org. That's fantastic. And I do love Billy. Tell him hello for me when you see him (laughs) next time. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, guys. Bye, Bye, Lars. He's fun. He's, uh, you know, fun on interviews and in person. So, and the Billy we're talking about is Billy McLaughlin of, uh, of the NRA. And he does such a good job with their, um, uh, their social media. I think I said his last name, right? Just now it makes me feel like I said it wrong, but anyway, hi, Billy, we love you. Uh, the, these are huge issues. These are important issues. And if we are not tapped in because somebody out there is sitting there going, oh, the NRA, gripey, gripe, gripe, right? Okay, fine. You can have that time, but that doesn't mean that you can tune out because you're mad or frustrated or have lost confidence or whatever your case may be in whoever it is, whether it's an elected official, whether it's a, an organization that is you know, trying to defend our, our rights, whatever the case may be, there are no, there's no room for excuses that, well, I'm mad at X, Y, Z, or I don't like X, Y, Z. So I don't have to participate. You're a citizen. And as a citizen, part of your civic duty is participation. So know the issues, use all the tools available to you. NRA, ILA, NRA, P, V, C, what did he say? Political, (laughs) you can rewind and find it. Um, these are great tools at your disposal. So get after it, get in there, use the tools and be ready to vote because we have got to keep our voice in the arena. What do you say, Mr. Todd? I'm going to agree with you right there. And uh, 
know, we, we need to get off the couch. We do. Absolutely. Um, you know, we do what we can do here to bring subject matter experts to you to help kind of hash out some of these issues and, and, um, politics and that sort of thing. But it really ends up being your responsibility and my responsibility and Dan's responsibility, the person you see in the mirror every morning. That's the person that's going to really make the difference. <clears throat> just like those original 13 colonies, if they would have just nipped it in the bud when it first started happening, then we wouldn't be living in what they're living in right now. It's so true. And if our founders, they were young men, there was not that many of them. They were going up against the greatest uh, military power on the planet at the time. If you don't think that somewhere in their minds or in their family's minds was, what are you doing? You're crazy. You know, let somebody else do it. I guarantee you that was going on, but they didn't, they didn't sit on the sidelines. They stood up, they did what they needed to do. And we have so much work that needs to be done. Uh, just, and you think about the numbers, like, let's just take California, for instance, mm -hmm. there are so many gun owners in California. Mm -hmm. There is enough gun owners in California to turn all these laws around, mm -hmm. but they won't because they're either not true second amendment people, or they just don't have time. And they let the, the you know, 20 years ago, you could go to the biggest gun show in the country. Mm -hmm. in california <clears throat> and you could you know and so what did they do first they said well you know we're not going to allow gun shows on state-owned land so like state fair property that's They're where it trying was trying that here in and uh, and so Tucson, right Arizona? right and so you doing things you think oh it's not my i don't go to gun shows it's not my battle mm -hmm. or i don't use an ar-15 it's not my battle well i don't use a handgun it's not my battle i just have a shotgun it's it's all of our battles mm -hmm. and we're going, you know, you just, if you don't defend the second amendment a hundred percent, then you're going to lose it. Right. Um, I believe it's, it's in the Bible. I think it's scripture that says, if you can't be trusted with small responsibilities, then you absolutely can't be trusted with big responsibilities. Yeah. And, um, and this is a small smart responsibility that turns into a big one. If you don't, it is, it's a bite, bite, bite. That's like how you uh -huh. eat an elephant. And the other side that hates our rights, they are chomping away at that elephant. And uh, we need to stand up and have our voices heard uh, at the ballot box every single time at every single level. All right. I Wait, think when I Bobby have... Kennedy, when Bobby Kennedy was assassinated, mm -hmm. 1960, uh, my, 68, I think. Anyway, when he was assassinated, my dad was very active in fighting for gun rights. And the issue was in cheap handguns. We just want to get the cheap handguns off the street. Mm -hmm. And Ted Kennedy and all these people were going, oh, it's just the cheap handguns. We've got to get them all off the street. And it was common sense. Mm -hmm. It looked like common sense, right? Well, my dad common dug sense. it up. Yeah, my, looks like common my dad, sense. you know, he started digging it up and they started reading the laws that they were trying to pass. This is a gun control act for the country. Mm -hmm. And he found out a Colt Python was on that Saturday night um, firearms list. Saturday night special firearms yeah. list. Because it's cheap. 
Right. And <laughs> no. so it was because they saw so an they tricked you. They tricked it. Right. Yeah. And I don't care if I would stand here and argue with anybody that said, hey, we don't need this kind of gun. These people that are fighting for take our guns away, their ultimate goal is to take all our guns away. Every so, single one of them. True. That's they the will whole not thing. Stop. Just like we've seen with it was only supposed to be two weeks, right? right. Just give up your life for two weeks. Trust stay us. Home. We're the government. Yeah. Trust us. We're the government. Uh, if you stay home for two weeks, everything will get back to normal. Well, here we are two years later. Yeah. Well, so just get the vaccine. You'll be okay. They never, they never stop. Yeah. And never. if you want to get the vaccine, get the vaccine. Fine. I don't want to. Right. Okay. Then don't. I'm not going to. Right. I mean, that is what America was supposed to be about individual liberties and individual freedoms. And now we have people out there that are trying to say, if you own a gun, you're selfish. If you want, you know, to enact your freedoms in any way, you're selfish. And there are too many people buying into that. Yeah. And we have to, you know, draw the line and say, we are going to teach our children better. We're going to help them understand our constitution wherever it's landed on the desk here somewhere and right here uh, this is it see it's real simple it takes like an hour to read look at how skinny that is um so we just need to to harness our our history harness our rights and um look forward with them use them for the future because otherwise you know we start this show every week with Ronald Reagan saying that our freedoms are one generation away from extinction. I think, Dan, I think they are one election away from extinction. That's terrible. They're already, it's already, it's already almost, well, it's not too late because we can stop this, but uh, it's, it's already there. It's, it is time to be engaged for sure. And uh, all eyes on this uh, Supreme Court decision. I so wish this show was going to be. Why is that? That makes me so angry. The, ju the judges are there to protect our constitution. If the constitution says you have a right to bear arms and there's no infringement, then what is the question? There is no question. Well, I mean, don't be angry yet. Because I am. They haven't decided. Well, but the, it shouldn't even have to be decided. I, know. I, I know. I you know, agree. that's, that's the thing that it's like, okay, so there are thousands of uh, gun laws on the books right now that infringe on our rights. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you should be okay with more. That's the socialist idea, right? All right. We got to get out of here. Out of here. <laughs> Pray for our nation. Well, first let's thank Lars Dale. Oh, yes, thank you so much, yes, Lars. We need to have you on more often because there's always something going on and Lars covers a, a large portion of the United States yeah. uh, uh, to make sure that he's got his finger on the pulse of all the cases going on and the things that we need to be paying attention to. So thank you, Lars. Uh, thank you to all of our amazing listeners and viewers, not just in Arizona, not just in Virginia where Lars lives, but all over the globe. Right. We so appreciate you. Your time is your most finite commodity. And when you spend it with us, it matters. Thank you. Uh, when you take these conversations around your dining room tables and in your carpools and you have them with your children, that's everything. That is absolutely everything. And uh, that's happening. And we can see it. We can hear it. And we value that.
All right. Uh, and if you would like to watch any of the videos that we have posted up over all these years, um, we're actually building our YouTube channel because for many years we were strictly uh, radio. There was no video portion of this show. But now that there is, we really would appreciate your help by subscribing. And then when you subscribe, if you would just go to that little notifications button and with your pinky up, just click it so that you will be notified of all of our future shows uh, when they're posted. So you can find us on YouTube, GunStreamer, and the smartphone app called OpsLens. If you like to listen to the audio-only version because you're out on a long Sunday drive. Or you're or voting. Or you're voting, or you're hiking somewhere, out enjoying nature. You're going to take one of your friends that's never shot before shooting? Absolutely. You know, usually it's a little bit of a drive to and from the range. So that's just about right for each show. Um, and so go to our website at gunfreedomradio.com, click the on demand tab and binge listen to your heart's content, darling. darling. And if you want to see photos and bios and links to all the works that all of our guests that we've ever had on, even before we were video, uh, go to our guest tab. And there is a huge resource there of subject matter experts. And when you spend time there, we don't hate that. Do we do? Nope. All right. Until next time, we are going to pray for this nation. We're going to pray for our leaders. And we're going to pray that you'll get off the couch and go vote. I like it. But what about those people that are in positions of leadership that we don't particularly like? We're going to pray for them too? Yes. Especially for them, I think. Yes. All right. Until next time, be good to each other. Have a great week and God bless. Bye-bye.